Hello, and welcome to the Health Data Ethics Podcast. I'm your host, Jenny Owens, and I'm back after a bit of a hiatus. Um, I took a break to go out to BRM Connect. If you're following me on LinkedIn, you will see the many, many videos that I did, uh, that I brought back from BRM Connect, which was stellar. Um, and then I had some PTO, and now I'm back in the office and delighted to be back with you with a really great episode about scribes and attitudes towards scribes and <clears throat> how we imagined digital scribes might work in 2018 and the differences between human scribes and digital scribes. So uh, we've got only a little bit of time, so let's get started. Um, <clears throat> last week, I was at the Northeast Ohio uh, HIMSS conference where Susanna Rose spoke, and Susanna Rose is now at Vanderbilt. Um, she was uh, formerly at Cleveland Clinic. She's a bioethicist, and of course, this dovetails neatly with many of my areas of interest. So I went back through Susanna's PubMed uh, publications just to see, you know, her talk was really great on the ethics of AI. Uh, wonder what she's published on in the past. And I found this great paper that she had written previously on patient attitudes towards human scribes. Um, <clears throat> so uh, scribes in the medical setting are often used sometimes in the ED, sometimes in, a, in the, uh, in the, in, in like a primary care or a specialty outpatient encounter where you would have one person literally sitting at the computer typing up the note while your caregiver is having an interaction with you as a patient. Very cool, um, eliminates some of the burden on the caregiver to document after the fact, can result in higher fidelity notes, maybe, maybe not, right? It depend, a lot depends on the individual humans that you, that you have performing this functionality and um, what the workflow looks like, right? Um, am I typing up a draft that the caregiver is then reviewing and approving? Am I just gathering even the basics so that they can then add their clinical impressions? L lots of variability in how a scribe works. Um, Susanna's paper, though, was really interesting. <clears throat> My apologies. Dr. Rose's paper was very interesting because uh, she looked at patient attitudes towards human scribes. Are you comfortable if there is another person in the room with you and your provider? Are you able to discuss your health concerns that you would want to? Are there other, uh, is there anything that you wouldn't discuss in front of a scribe? And she found generally that the patient attitudes were pretty supportive about the scribes. Um, the only thing she noted was that uh, the patients were slightly reluctant to discuss their sexual history in front of a scribe, especially this broke down interestingly along gender lines. All patients were slightly more reluctant to discuss their sexual history, but men were slightly even more reluctant than women. Very interesting. So overall, we do have evidence that patients are willing to accept a human scribe in the room with them, um, sort of as a, a third party in their relationship with their provider for documentation purposes only. So I read this paper and it was really interesting. And I started to think, okay, so between then and between human scribes and digital scribes, we've got a, a piece of technology now performing essentially the same function, right? We've got a, a totally neutral capture of here's what the encounter looked like and here is the note. So I went back and I started searching PubMed and started looking for attitudes on uh, hybrid models, right? What is a, what is a, a human scribe look like? What does a digital scribe look like? What does it look like when that relationship is more collaborative between a human being and, and a piece of technology? And I thought it would be really interesting to look at papers that were written before the AI boom. So I was looking for papers around 2018, 2019, just when this technology was really starting to find its feet and become something that we could seriously implement without a lot of tweaking and see what did we think this might look like then, right? What, what were we anticipating? What were we, what were we dreaming about? What were we thinking this might look like? 
So um, I found a paper, from, it was a 2018 paper from the Australian Center for Health Innovation. Um, and uh, they did this in collaboration with Beth Israel in Massachusetts. Um, so they, they took a look at what digital scribes were able to do at the time and thought, okay, well, in the future, here's what they need to be able to do in order for this to really work. Um, they called out the need for high fidelity speech recognition. This has been a known requirement for a while, right? But you need a speech recognition capability that is able to deal with not only people's different speech patterns, like for example, I'm a really fast talker, even faster when I'm extra caffeinated. Um, we need something that can keep up with that. We need something that can handle a variety of accents. We need something that can handle a variety of dialects and vernaculars. So if I talk about my sugar or, you know, my water pill, as opposed to, you know, my, my medication for hypertension or my diabetes, we need something that's going to be able to, to accurately extract the meaning from that text. <clears throat> the authors of this paper called out something really interesting, um, that keyboard and mouse interaction requires different cognitive pathways than speech and problem solving. So if I am trying to dictate a note, like to Dragon, that is occupying the same neural centers as my problem solving. So I'm not really able to carry on parallel tracks of thought the way I might be able to if I am, you know, like keyboard and mousing my way through some documentation. I'm picking things from drop down menus and all the while I'm thinking about this patient, about the encounter, about what I'm going to recommend that they do next. So I thought this was interesting because I hadn't really thought about digital documentation in terms of cognitive load. So how does this look? If I if I have an app on my phone that is recording the encounter, that's then going to read through that, create a transcript, read through the transcript, create a summary note for me to look at, how is that interacting with my, my thought patterns and my cognitive load as a clinician? I'd be interested in, he in hearing more from clinicians who have experienced this because I honestly don't know. To me, the reading and the, the editing of a draft note would seem to occupy a lot of the same cognitive space as that thinking and problem solving, right? It's a lot of summarizing. It's like, okay, well, if then, what if we did this? But again, not a clinician. Don't see patients. Just your friendly IT neighborhood IT nerd. Um, so I would be curious to hear from clinicians who have experienced this. Um, in 2018, we had a lot of thoughts, we, the authors had a lot of thoughts about voice commands for digital documentation. They had thoughts about gestures, you know, that you might, you might wave at something, you might touch something um, to indicate, hey, this is an important part of the encounter, pay attention to this. They thought about smart glasses, which is a, a piece of technology that I have not read a lot about recently. I know that Google Glass was really big in the news um, a while ago, and I've kind of seen the smart glasses fall off a little bit. And I will be curious to do some reading about why, because I know, for example, HoloLens is still you know, involved in some educational work. There's a lot of interesting use cases for VR glasses, but the smart glasses that are integrating various parts, this is something for future research. Um, the authors of this paper in 2018 thought a lot about a smart environment. So the, the quote that I pulled from the article was that the, the environment itself can become the computer so that you would have cameras to record the clinical interaction and re, you know, watch that video and extract a summary that you would have automatic integration of data from digital instru instruments like the, the otoscope, the thing that goes in your ear. Um, and they thought, especially interesting to me, they thought that clinicians and patients could interact with an intelligent environment with gestures and, or speech or touching, you know, active services, and that the clinician and the patient could both be involved in calling attention to the record that would be created from the encounter. 
I thought this was really interesting. Um, I think it's worth doing some thought experiments about what does it look like when the patient is a more active participant in their medical documentation? Um, they, this paper also called out the difficulty in anonymizing this data. They anticipated automation bias where, you know, we've got an algorithm that is running in the background that it, you know, creates your, your list or your problem list. Um, yes, you know, like, oh, you know, you have uh, some stress, you should probably be eating some more vegetables, some doing, doing some more exercise. Have you considered losing 10 to 20 pounds? You know, just kind of, and called out the opportunity for a less experienced caregiver to kind of automatically sign off on whatever the, the algorithm spits out, which is, of course, a, a bias that we are now wrestling with in a much more immediate way today. The other thing that they called out, and I thought was really interesting, was that they anticipated more detailed records than are currently produced. And they noted that the time savings and the effort savings on the part of the caregiver are highly dependent upon the design and the user interface. So all in all, like this paper from 2018 uh, nailed a few things that I think we are really dealing with immediately today and had some interesting ideas that I think are are rich for, for further thought. The thought about a, a smart room, you know, about touching surfaces, about using gestures. If you are going to use cameras, is there a way that we can sort of edit that interaction just to call attention to the parts that are important rather than having the camera sort of mindlessly ingest the entire thing? So then I went and I took a look at in a follow-up paper from the Australian Center for Health Innovation that came out just last year in 2022 on trials of artificial intelligence. Um, I was particularly looking for trials of artificial intelligence in digital documentation. Um, but this paper call spent some time on some topics that were, I think, more relevant. So when I was looking for, okay, we've got digital scribes now. How are they doing? <clears throat> this paper really called out we're not spending a lot of time replicating AI trials. We are basically doing a proof of concept saying, hey, look, it works. It's not demonstrably worse than the alternative. Let's go. Um, I'm really curious about what this means for process and evaluation. As if I'm a healthcare system saying, how do I determine which of these digital documentation tools are going to be of most use to me if I don't have a wealth of information like guys, if PubMed doesn't have information on it, I'm not quite sure how we get data <laughs> to make, you know, to make data-driven decisions. It, th this is a, a really, really interesting problem that's only going to get worse as we continue to have new companies that pop up and new pilots that people are doing and people will be publishing, but it behooves a healthcare institution and an IT institution to take a look at what are their success metrics? On what criteria are they evaluating the success of this pilot? What can we make the same in our organization so that we are truly doing an apples to apples comparison? Um, this paper notes a shift in AI use cases from discrete tasks to supporting whole workflows, which I think is interesting and dovetails really nicely with the expanding capacity of AI. So instead of saying, hey, AI, here are some vitals. Tell me if these are okay or not. We're moving to AI. Can you support me on this entire documentation workflow? Um, this quote, I, I just lifted wholesale from this paper because I, I thought it was so good. Indeed, in the short run, there are probably more lives to be saved or improved just by doing a better job of healthcare delivery than there are through creating new treatments. <clears throat> so anytime I hear the word just in this setting, it makes my, my spidey senses tingle a little bit, right? Because it's very easy to underrate the work that you're not doing. But 
I cannot disagree with the 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 crux of this. I think that digital documentation is important and that we should be looking at ways to reduce the burden on our caregivers. But as our 2018 paper called out, the time savings and digital documentation are heavily dependent upon the design and the user interface of this. So when we as healthcare systems and as healthcare IT professionals are evaluating documentation tools, we need to be very careful to make sure that we are setting appropriate metrics, that we will be able to capture time savings or a reduction in cognitive burden or a reduction in frustration on the part of our caregivers and our patients. One final thing, the lack of replication culture in AI right now. And it, it truly is, you know, like we, we, we did a thing, we published a paper on it, and now we're on to full implementation. This creates a real data vacuum for systems that are looking to see what, what does the evidence support. It also means that the evidence base for regulation is faulty. And we've talked on we've talked about this on the podcast before about how the the regulatory framework for artificial intelligence is vastly lagging behind the technology. But when we don't have the data there, when there isn't a publication base on which to write legislation, this means that we're going to get legislation that is written increasingly on what people's feelings are. And I feel like AI is kind of scary or icky. Um, or a lobbyist told me that it could do this. I, I really do feel like, now I am operating off of feelings. My thought on this is that as a healthcare organization and as a healthcare IT organization, if you are going to do pilots, you should consider heavily including publication as an outcome of your pilots to help improve this database, the, the data framework that people can rely on then when they're writing regulation. Um, we can use this as a benchmark for further implementations. <clears throat> something to consider.